One of the, my favorite podcasts is Hidden Brain, and I think it had its start on NPR several years ago. But an earlier podcast from uh, that Hidden Brain podcast starts like this. There are four, four words often used to describe America today. And then you hear this on the podcast. Take a listen. There are four words often used to describe America today. Seems like the country is more divided than ever. What the country uh, and the Congress are more divided than ever. At a time when the country is more divided than ever. Americans are more divided than ever. Opposite, I think this country is more divided than ever. I think Republicans and Democrats now more divided than ever before. Most polls say that Americans are more divided than ever. Are we more divided than ever? Well, what are the four words that describe America today? More divided than ever. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah, in modern history, that's probably true. Civil War, uh, we may have been more divided than we are today. But in modern history, that is definitely the case. AP writer uh, Nicholas Riccardi had this headline on an article that he wrote, uh, gosh, back in uh, just a couple weeks ago, July 5, 2023. Conservatives go to red states. Liberals go to blue as the country grows more polarized. Uh, Riccardi says in that article, and he has all these statistics and studies and research, that Americans are segregating by their politics to different geographical places in the United States to align with their own politics. And he says that this is fueling the divide between the states to the greatest extent that we've ever had in modern history anyway. So my question is, what can we do to bridge the divide? What can we do to actually live up to our name, United States, and live according to our motto, out of many, one? Ted Lasso helps us understand that, I think. In the early episodes of the series, Ted Lasso, he has to deal with two players who are at each other's throat, Roy Kent and Jamie Tart. In season one, in the words of uh, Shel Silverstein, they go from uh, a tug of war to season two to a hug of war. So what changes? What causes them to go from tugging at each other to hugging each other? In this particular episode, these two guys, star players for the team, meet at a charity dinner. And uh, you'll hear their interaction and what Ted uh, decides he has to do about their uh, conflict. Take a look. But what he said is, we've got to fix this. Let's fix this. So how do we fix people who are in conflict? How do we fix a nation in conflict? How do we even fix sometimes a church in conflict? Let me take you to Paul's letter to the Philippians, where Paul writes, I urge two ladies, Yodia and uh, I urge Syntyche. And I think it's really important that in the Greek language, he doesn't just urge one or the other, but he uses the word urge both times. Both ladies are responsible. It's not one person's fault over another person's fault. But he urges them to be of the same mind in the Lord. I think Yodie and Syntyche are the Roy Kent and the Jamie Tart of the church in Philippi. How will these two ladies who are at odds with each other come together in, uh, in unity. The entire book of Philippians is about rejoicing and being happy in circumstances. Paul wrote this while he was in prison in Rome. 
And so he, he understands what it is to be in bad circumstances. But out of that, he writes this letter and has so much advice in here about living in unity. And it goes back to Philippians 2 a little bit. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, let this make make my joy complete. He goes on in verse 2, and be of one mind. So in that verse, he gives us four grounds for unity. And he puts these grounds of unity in the form of a conditional clause. And you'll see on the English translation that each clause starts with if, I-F. But in the Greek language, it's called a fancy thing, third-class conditional clause. And what that means is Paul is assuming that the condition is being met. So the, the more accurate translation would not be if you have these things, but since you have these things. So he's telling the people, you are already there. You do have this stuff. So let's just break it down very, very quickly into those four grounds of unity. He says, since you have any encouragement from being in Christ, that word encouragement means more than encouragement to stimulate someone. Sometimes the United States government will put in policies to stimulate the economy. So Paul is saying, you have within you the Christ. And are you allowing Christ to stimulate you to be uh, unified with each other? The presence of Christ in you, in me, should stimulate us toward unity. He then goes on and says, if there's any comfort from his love, and this word, uh, this translation, uh, the Latin Vulgate, which was the official translation of the Roman Catholic Church uh, decade or centuries ago kind of translated this with comfort and I don't really like that translation but who am I to say that but I think that really a better word for comfort from his love would be more like persuasion and uh, it's almost like Paul is saying if love has any power to persuade you at all then be at one with one another. Be unified with one another. And then he goes on to say, if any, uh, if, since there is the common sharing in spirit, and remember that word the there, like so many other times in Paul's letters, is not really there in the Greek language. It's, if you share in spirit, and, and we do share in spirit, the spirit is in all of us. And it's like, you are partners with spirit. That's quite a partnership. The spirit is quite a teammate. Back in 1990, Michael Jordan scored 69 points in one game. It uh, was a career high in an already stunning career. Well, that very same night, a rookie teammate named Stacy King got put into the game at the very last minutes. He got fouled. He got a free throw out of it, and he made one point. So after the game, during the press conference, of course, all the reporters gathered around Michael Jordan, but Stacy King got a zinger in. He told the reporter this, I will always remember this as a night that Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. <laughs> well, guess who your teammate is? 
You might be saying, there's no way I could score 70 points. There's no way that I could be unified with somebody. Well, look at who your teammate is. Spirit. The spirit that unites the entire planet. The spirit that enlivens everything is in each of us. That's why we're able to say, when we see our enemy on the street, I see my brother. Because we share spirit together. That's your teammate. That's your partner. And that will give you that power. Let's go back to Philippians 2.1. The last appeal at the very bottom, if there's any tenderness and compassion in you at all. We've seen that word before, tenderness. It's that idea of uh, the feeling you get in your gut. It's almost like the brain in your stomach. Uh, the seat of the emotions is what uh, people in Paul's day thought that was. We have that feeling. We, we get a feeling in our gut when we are in love. We get a feeling in our gut when we're anxious and nervous and worried about something. We feel it in our gut. And Paul is saying, if you have any feeling in your gut whatsoever, or since you have that feeling in your heart, in your gut, if you have and since you have that tenderness, that compassion, then be at one with each other. He goes on, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. So Paul lists in verses 2 through 4 some of those things that work against unity. And one of the biggest things that we see in Paul and in Ted Lasso's story is vanity and pride and selfishness. We are introduced, as we were a moment ago, to one of the big players on Ted Lasso's soccer team, Jamie Tart. He is the absolute best player on the team. He has a right foot that they said was kissed by God. He's their high scorer. When they score, it's, it's him scoring. If they ever win, it's because of Jamie Tart. But Jamie Tart is also a jerk. He's selfish. He's a blowhard bully that uh, taunts and belittles uh, his teammates. He refuses to share the ball by passing it, but he's the best scorer. He's the best player on the team. During one of the uh, early episodes in season one, he scores some points, and the crowd begins to shout, and he points to the back of his shirt and begins to shout, me, me, me. It was all about me, me, me. In an earlier episode, Ted talks to Jamie Tart in, uh, in Ted's office, and he kind of puts it to him in a very kind but poignant way. Take a look at this clip. Yeah. Coach Lasso has a way about him, doesn't he? Paul tells us that the antidote to all this ego and pride is humility. Character trait, we don't honor very much. We don't see very much in leaders. That humility, Paul says in the end of this passage in verse 4, each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. A person with humility is interested in what interests others. 
A person with humility, even though they may be the best player on the team, is interested in the opinion and the, and the, and the experiences of the other players. A person with humility is always wanting to say, what are your thoughts on this? What would you recommend that we do? Yeah, I, I may be the expert. What, but what do you think about it? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. What could we do better? Humility. Don't see a lot of humility of treating one another as more important than yourself. That we see in verse 3. We like to be the one, don't we? In 1994, Thurman Thomas bowed his head on the bench of the Buffalo Bills and covered his face with his hands and just suffered over the loss of, the fourth loss that the Buffalo Bills had experienced in the Super Bowl. What made this game especially hard for Thurman Thomas is that he fumbled the ball three times. That contributed to kind of seal the fate of the Buffalo Bills against the Dallas Cowboys. Well, he lifted up his head and he saw Emmett, or rather Emmett Smith, stepping over Emmett Smith, was carrying his goddaughter. He was a running back for the Cowboys and he had just been pronounced the MVP for Super Bowl 28. And Emmett Smith put, set his goddaughter down on the ground and knelt down beside her and said, honey, I want you to look at this player right here. When you see this player pointing to Thurman Thomas, you are looking at the best running back in the NFL. Emma Thomas had just won the MVP. Yet, he was putting all of his attention to Thurman Thomas, the best running back in the NFL. Humility. Don't see it much anymore. It was sad to say goodbye a couple of days ago to Tony Bennett. And I uh, don't know if you got here in time to listen to uh, the music, the pre-service music, but we were giving an honor to Tony Bennett by playing his music, and maybe we'll do that after the service as well. But uh, in an interview in 1965 with Life magazine, some of us will remember Life magazine, the majority will not, and... Uh, Frank Sinatra was asked about Tony Bennett. And Frank Sinatra said, for my money, Tony Bennett is the best singer in the business. Frank Sinatra is 10 years older than Tony Bennett. His career was already set. But he showed humility by saying that this other guy is the best in the business. This other guy does these classic songs better than anybody else. Tony Bennett later said that those words turned his career around. We really do have the power in our words to encourage people who are down by honoring them and listening to them by being humble. Paul says, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. It doesn't mean that you're not important. At all. This is not a lesson on 
getting down on ourselves. It is a lesson in humility to recognize that everybody has value and everybody's thoughts and everybody's viewpoints are worth listening to. And we may not agree with them, but we can still listen to them. We can be respectful. And as the banner says, somebody gave me this banner this week, we can be kind even when we don't agree with someone. As, as Tim McGraw says, always be humble and kind. Throughout Paul's letter to the Philippians and his other letters as well, I think his most favorite phrase is this phrase, in Christ. Here's a couple of times you'll see it in Philippians. Uh, I therefore, therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. And I urge these two ladies to be of the same mind in the Lord and let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So what does it mean to be in the Lord or in Christ? I don't know. It's in the realm of, to, to, to live in that not the bubble, but to live in that atmosphere, that environment of Christ. It's, it's the inn is a place of, lo, it's a loca- word of location. I am walking in Christ. I am living in Christ. I am responding in Christ. I am informed by and inspired by the Christ. And, and at the very least, to, to be in Christ would be to live by Jesus' teachings to embrace Jesus' values and to adopt in my own life Jesus' priorities. If you read the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian New Testament, and you try to figure out what are his teachings, what are his values, what are his priorities, what would you say, say those values, priorities, and teachings of Jesus are? Does a word come to your mind that would describe that? Love, it's a big one. If you follow me, people will know that by how you love. Anybody, anything else come to your mind about the values of Jesus? Inclusion, service, acceptance. I miss that one. I love that. All of those Faithfulness, humility, service, love, loving kindness, and justice. Justice in the sense of always being fair and treating each other with equal respect. So here's my thinking on unity in relation to the teaching of Jesus to being in Christ. Because Paul connects unity to being in Christ. If we really want unity, maybe we should be looking for justice and loving kindness and service and love. In fact, could it be that we want a unity that walks arm in arm with justice, with loving kindness and with faithfulness? In my previous pastorate, we only had male elders. That's just the way it was in uh, conservative evangelical churches. And uh, as I began to evolve a little bit, I opened my heart and my arms and my mind to women elders and women pastors. 
And uh, I was the lone ranger in our group of uh, nine, 12 elders at that time. But I, I wanted to persuade, I wanted to lead, I wanted to uh, gently take them to where I was going. And uh, wasn't getting very far with that. They all believed that leadership in the church, especially, was determined not by gifts, but by gender. I did not believe that anymore. So I called a mentor professor of mine from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, whom I knew believed that the Bible taught that it was good to have women elders and women in church leadership. And so I invited this professor to Springfield. We flew him to Springfield, and we met the elders and Denise and I, and I think their wives, all the wives came too with this professor from seminary. And my professor just laid out so very clearly the biblical basis for women elders and women in church leadership, women pastors. And I was just saying, go, 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 go get them. And the uh, elders in our church were pushing back and everything. And, and the professor was sensing some real tension, some real resistance. And so at the very end of the professor's time, this is what he said. He said, I believe it's biblical. I believe it's the right thing to do to have women in leadership, women elders, and women pastors, women preachers. But, he said, for the sake of unity, I would not force it. For the sake of unity, I would not do it. And my heart absolutely sank. This is around 2008. And we never did have women elders in that church, and that church still does not have women elders. Pushing for women, women elders was seen as being divisive. Stop being so divisive, Philip. Jesus wants us to be united. Don't threaten the unity with these minor issues. So that situation put me on a path of asking some more questions. Which is more important? Justice, fairness, Equality or unity? What if unity means that you don't have equality? Should I sacrifice equality for the sake of unity? Who did? Oh, yeah. That's a good point. So I thought to myself, I didn't say this to the elders... I thought, all right, guys, you shut me down on women as elders. If you only knew what I was thinking about gay people. <laughs> I just kept that in here for two more years. Yeah. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. received a letter from eight white pastors in Birmingham, Alabama, criticizing him for his 
demonstration and his campaign for equality, even though it was a nonviolent campaign and nonviolent protest, they still condemned him and they entitled their letter to him a call for unity. And they said, in the, for the sake of unity in our churches, don't push for equality among the races. I don't have this on the screen because I just thought of this late yesterday. But in his response, called a letter from a Birmingham jail, one of his most poignant to me statements is this. Dr. King wrote these eight pastors and says, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the KKK, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Rachel Held Evans wrote in 2013, sometimes this, the stop being divisive line is used by those in power to diffuse or even silence difficult conversations about why things might need to change. One of the easiest ways to discredit another Christian is to label their questions and concerns or calls for justice as too divisive. I've discovered them. From my perspective, and it may be a wrong perspective, and you may have a better way of seeing this than I, but from what I've observed is that most of the time the call for unity is from people who are not being oppressed. If I go back to my previous pastorate, the women were being oppressed for not being able to exercise their gifts but the oppressors, the white male, were calling for unity. While there was a segment of the church being oppressed. I don't like being divisive. I really don't. It makes my stomach hurt. I get anxious, get nervous stomach. The stomach brain that I was talking about a moment ago. But I don't like injustice either. I don't like enabling injustices. I don't like to allow for injustices. So I'm at this point today, I'm still growing in this, that maybe the call for unity is not a call for unity at all costs. Maybe unity is not really what we're striving after. Paul says we're striving for unity in Christ. We're striving for a unity that is informed by the person of Jesus, that incorporates Jesus' teaching, his values, his priorities. I'm at the point today that if unity means that oppression and discrimination gets a pass, then in the spirit of Christ, maybe our goal is not to be unified but as the Old Testament prophet Micah says, our goal is to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. In one game, Jamie Tart, that egotistical player, brings his team back from a 2-0 deficit. 
But then his teammate, Sam, gets injured on the field, and instead of going over to help Sam get up off the field uh, back to the bench, Jamie Tart goes over there and taunts him, teases him. And in a very rare thing, I think, in soccer, Jamie Tart earned in that a yellow card for unsportsmanlike conduct against his own team. My gosh. So they take Sam off the field, and while he's off the field, Jamie Tart scores another goal, and that ties the game. It's at this moment that Ted Lasso makes a character-building move. The sportscasters are ooing and aahing over Jamie Tart's goal and over his skills, and they're wondering where would the team be without Jamie Tart? And while they're all ooing and aahing and the people are cheering Jamie Tart, Ted benches Jamie Tart. Puts the star player on the bench. The sportscasters are stunned. The stadium reverberates with fans calling Coach Lasso a not very nice name. The people in the bars calling Coach Lasso, the same name. But Coach Lasso stands firm. He stands firm in justice. He stands firm against an oppressor. Jamie Tart was the oppressor. He stands firm against an oppressor, even if that oppressor is on the team. He calls out the oppressor. Paul calls us to stand firm in Christ, to unify around the values of Christ. A call for unity may be a good thing. It may not be a good thing. To me, it's not good if the call for unity comes at the expense of the oppressed and the discriminated. Maybe disagreement does not mean there's decay Maybe a disagreement means that people are growing and people are changing. There's always resistance to change. There's always resistance to equality, the fight for equality. I think it's good maybe for the church to disagree. I think it was good for the church, my previous pastor, to disagree. I should have. No, I shouldn't have. Should I have made that disagreement more public? I don't know. But I think it's good when the world sees a group of people fighting for equality against the oppressed, against discrimination. So what do we do with this? Let's ask ourselves the questions. Am I practicing humility? Am I listening to others? Am I valuing their opinions, their thoughts? Am I living, am I functioning as a person who is in Christ? Am I following the teachings of Jesus, embracing the values of Jesus and adopting the priorities of Jesus? Am I doing justice? Do I really love loving kindness? 
Am I walking in humility with God? I think the scripture has a voice that tells us around those things we can be unified. 